Jeffers. This is the Sue Jeffers Show, Twin Cities News Talk AM 1130 and com. Whenever I get down or frustrated, I call my friend John Gilmore and he reminds me, Sue, we're winning. We're winning. We're still winning. And I am always put talks me right off the ledge. Things are good. Hey, John Gilmore, how you doing? Hi, Sue Jeffers. How are you? Awesome. And I want to thank you for calling in to help us understand the memo. And I want to thank you for filling in for me at the end of the month while I'm off jet setting around. I'm looking forward to it. I'm so excited and happy for you. You are a named plaintiff in the United States Supreme Court case. You join very few people who whose names will appear in the law books, whatever the decision um, and I guess if you're looking for immortality, that's a, a form of it. <laughs> and I'm very excited for you to be on the panel for the Pacific Legal Foundation. Is it 40 or 45th anniversary? 45th. It's at just the Reagan Library. I know. I've never yeah. been to. I, I've never been there. I can't I wait to go. No. And you know, yeah. well, you know what? I've never been to the Supreme Court, so I am just looking forward to that experience so much. And you know, because you're a lawyer, uh, being a named plaintiff, I get to go in the courtroom. I don't have to wait in line for tickets or sit in the balcony. I get to yeah. like be right yeah. there. It's uh, as the kids would say, Sue. It's a big deal. I was talking to Sam before uh, we got on air, and since I'm going to be guest substituting for you, thank you very much. We thought you should call in so that I could say, my next caller is Sue Jeffers. Welcome <laughs> to the Sue Jeffers Show. You sort of met us. I told Stan that that it's a very busy day that day. I don't know when I'll be in the air. I don't know when I'll be in a on a panel. I don't know when I'll be partying with all the cool people uh, or going on a tour of the Reagan Library or whatever. So I really don't want to commit to anything. Till, and plus, there's a time difference that I can never no, keep track true. of either. So tweet out, tweet out fun pictures. I will. I will. And I know you and Stan will do a fabulous job for me. Okay, John, I have been talking about uh, the Super Bowl and I, a, a lot and some of the crazy things that are happening, some of the fixations, some of the... I, and I... I'm, I know you don't like football, and you keep tweeting out, is the football game over yet? Or... No, I said Super Bowl. No, oh, no, okay, no. okay. The, Patriot, the Patriots are going to win. Nobody likes the Patriots, and so it's sort of anticlimactic. That's all. <laughs> all Even right. Even I got excited when the Vikings made the playoffs. Come on, give me some I credit. know. I was so excited. Oh, my gosh. And then, yeah, well, they broke my heart. So next year, John, next year. They're going to do it next year. All right. But, I've been talking about some of the reactions that we've seen around town, and I just happened, coming in today here, I just happened to pick up the Saturday Star Tribune, and I start looking through it, and, well, I won't, get, I, I don't want to get into the memo uh, quite yet, so I just want to tell you I opened up the opinion section, and, and they had an opinion. Trump makes me furious, but a car mishap made me think. And it's under a headline that says, Our Divided Nation. Well, thanks, Star Tribune, for putting crap like that in our paper on a day when you have thousands and thousands of people visiting our fair city, and you just do... I feel like the Star Tribune just does anything they can to just stoke the anger. This article 
covering half a page, half a page, because they had to have a picture of the Women's March, and they had to have um, a Steve Sack cartoon in there as well. But it's a story about this woman who hates Donald Trump, and she has been so angry, and she's resisting, and she's going to the Women's March. And on her way, she was at the first Women's March, she went to the second one, and she she spent... 15 paragraphs talking how angry she is, talking about how she has so much anger about Donald Trump, Trump, that she is angry at her country for electing this man. She's angry at her neighbors. She's angry at the rich people. She's angry at the coal miner. She's angry, angry, angry. And she said her fury is so bottomless that as she drinks her morning coffee from a cup that says, I hate to wake up when Donald Trump is president. I know, right? I, I wish I would have had one like that for Obama, but okay. No, you don't. No, you don't. I don't. Do you want me to chime in? Or nope, not quite yet. I just got to okay. get a couple more things in there. Okay, this is how this this is printed in the Star Tribune, John. No. My no. husband no. and I, while reading the latest Trump news, routinely turn to each other and mutter, "I just hate him." So much. And she talks about how exhausting the outrage has been. Well, guess what, John? Her car breaks down on the way home from the march, and some guy fixes it for her, and he, as they're sizing each other up, here's this guy fixing her car, and she's, of course, figuring out, oh, this loser's a Trump supporter. Um, and she's, the guy says to her, uh, just ask any redneck like me what you can do with zip ties. Well, zip ties and duct tape. You can solve almost any car problem. You'll get home safe. Um, and the son who, teenage son who was standing nearby said, you can say that again. And so this lady goes off. And, and of course, in the end, she's thinking, wow, this redneck Trump supporter helped me out. I guess I should be a little more grateful. But no, no, the story wraps up with, yeah, I'm still going to resist I, because I got to hold that fire in my belly to fight against Trump. Thanks, Star Tribune, for nothing. Yeah, I know. Okay. Also this week, we had the State of the Union. Did you watch the State of the Union, John Gilmore? You have to be joking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I wanted Trump. I wanted Trump to enter the House chamber in a Roman toga with golden laurel. Yeah, that wasn't going to happen, John. No, I, no. I did not watch it. I, I think I watched one of Obama's during the eight years that he was president, uh, and I decided that I'm just not going to watch any Trump, any of Trump's either, because it's just become. Such a show, you know, the it, Democrats. It's not, it, it's not, Sue, and you've made a mistake, and I can send the link via email. This is one that you needed to watch, and and, uh, and let me tell you why. Before you signed off on the first hour, you said Democrats hate it, and what I hated it. And I think what you meant to say, uh, if I may, is that the Democrats in the chamber hated it, and for the most part, uh-huh. that's true. But something really important happened in this State of the Union speech, and when you say... You know, I boost your sagging spirits, and you've returned the favor many a time, especially about the dumbest Republicans in the nation, <laughs> Minnesota. Um, the, the instant polling shocked the, you know, corrupt and dishonest media. Overwhelmingly, 97% of Republicans liked it. But here's the takeaway number, Sue. 43% of Democrats who watched that speech liked it. Wow. 43% and something like 72 or 73% of independents. 
That's huge. You've got people who identify as Democrats, aren't like this woman in the Star Tribune whose column they ran from, I think the Charlotte Observer. Um, that's real progress. And the best news is 80%, no matter how they identified politically, no matter where they were on the political spectrum, 80% said they thought the president, wait for it, was trying to unify the country. We're winning, Sue. I know. I think we're winning, too. John, because... I I just have to say, because the local media gave this no coverage. Um, Oh, true. Our favorite favorite, um, immigration violator, Ilhan Omar, who serves in the House of Representatives, went on Amy Goodman's Democracy Now! That's about as far left as you can get before falling off the spectrum altogether, and promptly denounced it as fascist and racist now this is from a woman who's been in my country five minutes you know what she's the type of person that trump says when we bring in new people we want to make sure that they love us love our country and love our principles you've got no standing coming from a blank hole country (laughs) and putting down america although she's very smart politically and strategically because the rabid left eats that up. So she's she's playing to her base, but you know what? We get to call it out as well. And she pals around with Linda Sarsour, who's a national figure. She's an odious woman. She's the, I don't even know if there's a functional equivalent on the right. I mean, just for shock value, you'd have to think of David Duke. She's as um, out of bounds as David Duke would be in polite company, polite political company. And she's never questioned about it. She's never she's never made to account for Linda Sarsour's comments or actions in the same way that they always do with anyone uh, in the center or on the right. That's my two cents about the State of the Union and people who have been in America for five minutes putting it down. Eighty percent of the country said he's trying to use to unify the country. Right. Not Ilhan Omar. Of the I call her the Barbie doll of Islam Islamism. One of the one of my favorite lines of the whole State of the Union because I I did read it um, was Americans are dreamers too, and then you had Jake Tapper come out there and say, "Whoa, look at that! David Duke liked it. David Duke, the you know, had to wait. Jake Tapper had to had to slam Donald Trump and try to say, look at only Nazis think uh, Americans are you know, dreamers Jake, too.' Jake Tapper would say the same thing about Diet Coke, which we know President <laughs> Trump likes to drink. So that's another sign of winning you you have a republican for the first time who doesn't accept the premise of the cultural discussions who doesn't accept narrative framing who doesn't accept the premise of these profoundly dishonest and biased questions that are hurled at him and he he not only gives it back to them he gives it back to them one better and so when they're outraged it's because He's figured it out and has for a long time. I'm sorry, Sue, that's how he became president. Okay? Yep. That is literally how yep. he became president. I agree. He's still mad. And one other thing about that Star Tribune comment, if we have time, I think, and, and, you know, if you listen to Rush Limbaugh, he's like, I know how these people think. And I've thought about that for a long time. That's why I listen to a lot of, you know, on the left commentary. I have liberal friends. You do, too. <laughs> um, but we're not like them, Sue. Right. We, we wouldn't have the same coffee cup. We don't no. um, operate on rage and anger, and we don't politicize everything in our waking moment, okay? Keith Ellison said everything is politics. No, no, that's North Korea, Mr. Ellison. When everything is politicized, there is no private space. And so, oddly, what I thought the Star Tribune might be doing, we won't know, 
although I do follow Joe Burnham on Twitter. We've had some tentatively polite discussions. Um, Patricia Lopez is a lost cause. Totally um, lost cause. I, I, think, I think the Star Tribune was trying to put out for its liberal readers a very small epiphany of someone who's on the crazy left in the pink pussy hats and all of these sort of ridiculous things that we've seen, overgrown children having a temper tantrum that they lost in the election. And I think what they were trying to do was really to, to maybe show their own readers who are, you know, they pride themselves on being more bent out of shape, more angry, more cheerful. It's, it's, exhausting just watching them I it is exhausting watching them. them but i thought they were trying to maybe reach them and it is a cheesy little um antidote and it was a small epiphany although at the end you slightly mischaracterized the conclusion she said i'm going to keep my anger because that's what makes her that's her identity let's be plain yep, about it yep 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 uh, i'm going to keep my identity in rage it also keeps her instead with her fellow rageaholics but I'm also going to try to see people as something slightly less different than I did before this. Can I do that? I don't have the answer. Yeah. It was a slightly more nuanced <laughs> ending. And so I think the Star Tribune, in its perverse way, was trying to run something that said, we can't just be bent out of the shape all the time, but you know as well as I do. Yeah, no, because nobody's going to read to that nuanced ending, John Gilmore. Nobody's going to read that far. And we have to take a quick break here. Um, and when we come back, I, I do want to talk about the memo. I do, and, and I want you to think about this while we're gone, because... I read the State of the Union speech and I didn't I did feel like there were some glaring omissions that I wish Donald Trump would have talked about at the State of the Union speech, um, like making the tax cuts permanent or repealing Obamacare or debt or spending cuts or or something. I mean, these were words that he didn't even mention one time. But don't say anything because we have to take a break. And when you come back, I'll let you weigh in with your final thoughts on the State of the Union. And then we're going to talk about the memo. And John will tell us what's really happening with that. Stay tuned, everyone. Sue Jeffers with John Gilmore, Twin Cities News Talk AM 1130 and TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Good Saturday afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, John Gilmore's with me today. We're talking about, uh, we're just wrapping up our conversation with the State of the Union. Uh, what we thought of the State of the Union, mostly what John thought of the State of the Union. Uh, we got a couple great callers I can't wait to get to. If you want to weigh in, 651-989-5855, 651-989-5855. I want people to remember that uh, it was just a week ago that we had a very short-lived government shutdown. And during that government shutdown, you saw the Democrats side with illegal aliens over Americans and and then we had the State of the Union speech which I thought was so powerful and so tremendous um, I read it I didn't hear it but John was telling me all the good things that came that came out of that and it seems like at the State of the Union speech the Democrats uh, it wasn't so much that they sided with um, illegal aliens over Americans but it seemed like the Democrats came off as 
just simply anti-Americans. And it shouldn't really surprise anyone that uh, so many, of course, what, 97% of the Republicans thought it was great, 43% of the Democrats, that's pretty impressive, uh, and 72% of the independents thought that Trump was trying to unify people, that Trump did a really good job, and that they liked his his speech. I mentioned to John just before the break, I thought there were some things in the speech that Trump didn't talk about that I thought he should have talked about. Uh, set me straight, John Gilmore. Well, you're, you're going back to pre-Trump times, Sue Jeffers, and it's silly <laughs> to talk about deficit reduction. You sound like Paul Ryan, who never did anything, and, and, and frankly, don't take this personally. It's kind of a swamp talk. Um, Trump has said, and it wasn't noticed much in the campaign, before America can be great again, it has to be rich again. And we have become, uh, under Obama and, and, and the Uniparty, the Republicans don't get to skate on this. He had to run against them. And who wants to yeah, miss me yet? George W. Bush? No, thanks. <laughs> nope. I'm about as fond as, of him as, um, you know, I do toward Tim Pawlenty. Those <laughs> Same. Things will, those, those things will, will come, Sue. This is his first properly labeled State of the Union speech. It was brilliant and it was masterful. And all I ask listeners to do if they are wondering how Trump is doing, is to listen to how loud the screams are coming from the left. The louder, <laughs> the better. That, that's a simple rule, and, and we can talk about, if this was his sixth year in office, and he hadn't talked about reducing government spending and the deficit, I would understand it. He's just out of the box, right? and he didn't have a Congress that was very competent in working with him, and he was really, I do sincerely think, trying to unify the country. The guy is the opposite of everything that they have painted him to be. He's been in our public eye for 35 years. He runs for the Republican endorsement. He's a racist. He's a bigot. He's a homophobe. He, the whole nine yards, we, we saw through it. And instead of our media picking our president for a change, the American people did. I love it. I love it. So you, what, do you, what grade do you give him on the State of the Union? A plus? I give him an A. I'm not much for great inflation. A. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Are you ready to take some calls, John? I am. Well, what are we talking about? Or do you want to go to the memo? Um, first, I want to take these phone calls because we have talked about the State of the Union. Great. And we talked about the Tribune article that just made me furious. And But obviously not as furious as the woman who wrote it, who looks at her husband over her coffee cup that says something mean about Donald Trump and shakes her head at her husband and says, we hate Donald Trump. Um, who does that over coffee? Who does that, John? Nobody does that. Well, I guess she does that. Uh, let's take the first phone call here. Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sue, and I enjoy it. Thank you for your guest also. Um, I read the article also this morning and with my husband, and I had the same reaction as you. <laughs> I couldn't believe her outrage. And, and, you know, Donald Trump, you know, I wasn't 100% behind him, but as a conservative, a person who values religious freedom and a pro-life person, we had nowhere else to go. Right. Put that out front. But also, what I want to say, all this outrage from the left, and you read it in the media, in any, like, magazine articles and art articles, they talk about, um, oh, in these troubled times, or this woman, she talks about it, when she drove home, she saw the full extent which Trump makes diminish, diminishes her desire to be kind. I mean, this outrage and hatred is inside her. She's projecting it onto Trump. You know, they're, 
hatred is inside themselves for their lack of, they don't even realize their lack of tolerance for people who don't think like them. And if Hillary had won, the rest of us would have had to suck it up and just keep working or praying harder. And we wouldn't be out there blathering about all this hate and the troubled times when what we would have been heartbroken about is the way she would have taken our country. Right. And you know what, Kathy? Every day I wake up and say, thank you, God, for not having President Hillary Clinton. I know. And, you know, we know Donald Trump is a very imperfect vessel. Right. But it's what we've got to work with. And, you know, the whole thing they don't get is we wanted a fighter. Someone, again, I do cringe at some of his tweets (laughs) and things he puts out. I I know. Me too. But, but, you know, people wanted someone with a fighter because they don't get that we work a day people. We are watching and we get it. We're not stupid. We see the media play. Right. That's how he won is that we see through it now. And, we want someone who will stand up to these people and probably, you know what, in the long run, he was probably the only one that could have beat her, and that's what I believe, is because he just wouldn't take it. And even if he, he you know, yep. his comments, he probably, you know... I think you're right, Kathy. Yeah. I up himself on things or contradicted himself. But you know what, we just he just kept fighting through it. I that, know. That was the only thing to beat the Clinton machine. <laughs> Thank you, Kathy. I appreciate your comments. Great, great comments. I agree with you 100%. What do you think, John? Yes? Sue, Sue, you and Kathy need to snap out of it with all due respect. Well, I like Trump, but he wasn't perfect. Well, remind me of the last president who was. We don't have one. uh, And and I want to fight her, but sometimes I cringe when he fights. You know what, John? When when Kathy said that, I started laughing, and I go, and that's when I call John, and he tells me, (laughs) we're winning, Sue, we're winning. It's a different, I understand, Kathy. I mean, there's nothing in any personal way, and she's exactly right about the life issue. And um, the Heritage Foundation, you know, if those think tanks are your thing, and for a lot of establishment Minnesota Republicans, they are. I'm not trying to put Kathy in that box. But a couple of weeks ago, they said, this is the most conservative administration ever, more than Ronald Reagan. And then it didn't get a lot of press. Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, sat for an interview and said, we have never had more conservative success in my 30-some years in Washington than this last session just ended. So if people who have some doubts about Donald Trump completely understand it, but if their litmus test, which it should be, is the proof is in the pudding, I would submit he has delivered beyond our wildest dreams. I readily admit it, John. I readily admit that he has delivered beyond my wildest dreams. I have to admit I am furious at the Republicans for not repealing every last stinking word of Obamacare. Uh, but I can't hang that around Trump's neck. Uh, I hang that around the Republicans' neck. Okay, we have to take a quick break. Callers, hang on. We will get to you. Uh, John, I know eventually we're going to get to the memo, so hang in there. <laughs> hang in there, my friend. That is why I brought you on the show today. <laughs> so hang on. Uh, stay tuned, everyone. Sue Jeffers with John Gilmore. Lots more coming to Twin Cities News Talk AM 1130 and com. Good Saturday afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate it. MnDOT's saying they have 220 plows out there right now, but the roads are a challenge. 
Yeah, thanks for nothing, Mindot. That that accident up in Maple Grove, 32 cars stand. And no, I wouldn't want to be in the accident or behind the accident. It was a parking lot. That's awful. Uh, thanks for tuning in, in, everyone. We are talking Donald Trump. We've been talking the State of the Union. Uh, we've been talking uh, angry Democrats, and I kind of bashed the Star Tribune for an article that they printed in there that spent, what, 15 paragraphs uh, bashing Trump as this woman explained her anger towards Trump and anyone and everyone who voted for him. I invited my friend John Gilmore to join us because I really, really want us to talk about the memo. Uh, I did not read the memo. I did not follow it as closely, so I invited John on to explain it uh, to everyone. And I'm laughing here because Stan has typed on my screen, John Gilbert, and it's not, it's John Gilmore. And what I'm really looking forward to, too, I encourage everyone to, John's a fabulous writer. And every Sunday he puts out a column, Sunday about noon. Uh, you can find it on Alpha News. You can find it on his blog. Uh, John, I look every Sunday, I look forward to your, uh, article, your column, your opinion piece, whatever you want to call it uh what's this week's about thanks very uh thanks to it's very kind and the um the address is alphanewsmn.com and my column is appearing monday because tomorrow is the super bowl and people aren't going to be reading things like you know political commentary and and so forth and i haven't decided what i'm going to write on fortunately i think it's being trained as a young lawyer where i worked under a lot of time deadlines and pressure, I can uh, bang something out and it can still be de- uh, decent. So you'll have to tune in around noon on Monday at alphanewsmn.com. I'll tell you, John, there is no shortage of things that you could write on. Nope. No shortage of it. Um, and if you have any trouble, call me tomorrow before the Super Bowl game, and I'll give you some suggestions. But I'm pretty sure you won't need my help. Uh, John, before we get into the memo, Jane's been patiently waiting. Uh, let's take her phone call, and then we'll jump into the memo. Hi, Jane. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sue. I have a cold, so I hope I don't sneeze on the two of you. <laughs> we'll be okay. Yeah. Listen, I was as mad as you were, and I'll tell you right now, um, I kept thinking about I, my husband's retired military officer, and I kept thinking back to um, my time in the military with him. And, you know, there were people that were elected to uh, be president who um, – uh, in the military, who weren't in favor of the person, would not have voted for him, so on and so forth. But you know what they did? They served their commander-in-chief. Right. And I will say that till the day I die. Uh, I was not an Obama supporter, as a matter of fact. My um, dislike of him, to use a very mild word, grew as time went on with the IRS and Obamacare and different things. Right. And you know what? Look at what we're seeing now. We're seeing that our government has uh, done things behind our back. Right. And, you know, uh, to really be honest with you, I think that if this gets exposed, President Trump will have b- become one of the greatest presidents only because of his tenacity. <laughs> I think you're right about that, too. Yeah, and you know what? It may spur me to write my first letter to the Star Tribune. I am 
so upset with that woman. I'd like to shake her. Oh, my gosh. Jane, you have to write a letter to the editor. Our side needs to write more of them. And and on last week's show, I read a letter to the editor that I wrote to the New Brighton Bulletin, Mm -hmm. uh, and they actually printed it. I was shocked. They don't usually print our side. Um, So, hey, they're never going to print it if we don't write it. So you have to write it. Well, my thing is, what do you think we did? When we, when someone that we didn't like got elected. Right. You know what? We didn't go out and protest, although there were some things going on. I, I get that. But as time went on, we realized that we were going to be patriots. And that meant to line up and support our commander in chief. Right. And just the, the anger, the hatred, the resistance. It nasty. just, I, I, so nasty. That's what. You what do? Spend your whole day ruminating about this? Right. I know. I can't believe it. But I, but I know people like that. So I, I believe it. Thank you, Jane. Really You're appreciate welcome. your thoughts and yeah. comments. Thank you. Um, yeah. Okay. John Gilmore, the memo. We're here. The memo. The memo is four pages. The House Intelligence Committee voted uh, to make it non-classified, unclassified. Uh, that was reviewed by the president. He had five days. The, uh, the executive branch, your listeners may not know, have their own set of uh, intelligence apparatuses you know, with, within the White House. They reviewed it. But, but I need to set the table, as it were, a little bit first, Sue. While that was going on, before it had become public, we saw histrionics, the sky is falling, we're all going to die. Um, if this memo became public, we were going to mortally wound our intelligence services. We we're going to give away some of the highest level state secrets. The Russians, the Chinese, you name it, would have uh, a leg up on us. And it was extraordinarily um politically selfish for Republicans to want this to see the light of day. When it came out, you'll notice, they said, oh, it's a nothing burger. I know! (laughs) But that's always, when you see a 180 in the narrative, you know that the the previous narrative has been comprehensively destroyed. So that's something to keep in mind uh, when, when we look at this. And what the, you know, there's, there's the starter pack, there's the advanced pack, and then there's the PhD pack of what I could say about the memo. I'm just going to give the starter pack so that people who know about it but don't know much more about it can have a baseline for what it is. And what the memo reveals is the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee, the DNC, paid a law firm in D.C. by the name of Perkins Coey to generate this so-called dossier, and that was written by a former, a former N16 uh, spy of sorts, Michael Steele. Interestingly enough, and here's a local angle, too, the Perkins Coey Law Firm, that's where Mark Elias practices. Mark Elias was Al Franken's right. lawyer. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so there's a local angle there. Um, he didn't go to Russia for this dossier. In fact, it's more likely than not that the Russian intelligence services fed him stuff. So instead of getting the goods on Trump, he was fed a, lo- a bunch of, of nonsense and the golden showers. And people can Google that, but that's how debased our culture has become. Right, right. Um, and, and none of that was verified. Um, the only 
as far as I can tell from my reading, the only fact in the uh, dossier that was verified was that an individual by the name of Carter Page at one point actually did travel to Russia. They characterized that as a secret meeting. In fact, it was at a public event. So there you go. What they did with this dossier then was to use it to get a surveillance warrant through the Federal Intelligence Services Court, surveillance court. And these are secret courts. They are literally secret courts. Only the government appears. And obviously the object of the surveillance doesn't get a heads up. But what they did was they used this dossier, trusted up as um, a, a bona fide intelligent skullduggery report, when in fact it was Hillary Clinton's opposition research of, of the sort that, you know, it was so bogus it would make a cat laugh. <laughs> and they used that dossier to get a surveillance warrant from which through Carter Page, they were able to surveil every person he came in contact with. That means anyone that he had any dealings with, they were able to listen in on them. The idea, it's called a Title I warrant. Um, the idea is if you can get one person in a spy network, have at it, get the whole network. Well, for foreign, for foreign intelligence and espionage, that works. But this was used to spy on the political opposition. And what was also very cute was this um, Steele fellow would brief media outlets, and he briefed about half a dozen and told them what was in the dossier, made it sound like it was legit and not paid opposition research. Michael Isakoff, who is now at Yahoo News, wrote a story, and what the FBI did was say to the intelligence court, here's this dossier, it should be enough for probable cause. And look, here's a news story about it as well. That bolsters why we should get this warrant. That's called circular reporting. Oh, I totally. John, we yeah. have to we have to take a quick break here. Okay. Um, so when we come back, I think this is just absolutely astonishing. You've got a Democrat party that's corrupt to the core, in bed with the FBI that's corrupt to the core, in bed with... Obama and the Justice Department and NASA, they're all corrupt to the core. I, I mean, talk about abuse of power. Talk about corruption. Talk about it. It's just so outrageous. I can't believe people aren't more upset about this, but we'll finish talking about it when we come back. Stay tuned. Sue Jeffers with John Gilmore, Twin Cities News Talk AM 1130 and Twin com. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Sue Jeffers. This is the Sue Jeffers Show, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130 and com. I'm talking with my friend John Gilmore. We're talking about what's in the memo. If I have this right, the Democrat Party colluded with the corrupt FBI and a corrupt Obama um, and a corrupt Justice Department and a corrupt intelligence services and lied uh, to get FISA warrants, right? Yes, that, that is it in a nutshell. And a couple of other things, too. What, what your listeners will see now in our corrupt and dishonest mainstream media is, well, this doesn't kill the Mueller investigation. Well, that wasn't the point of the memo. That wasn't the goal. I of, know. That wasn't the goal of the House looking into um, 
what the FBI was doing. So they consistently uh, changed the goalposts. What this does is, I think, establish um, a shocking degree of weaponizing and politicizing our FBI and the men and women in the rank and in the field don't deserve that. We're talking about the leadership. Right. And, and, and before it was released, the sky was going to fall. Once it came out, they said, it's a nothing burger. You can't have it both ways. And it was such a nothing burger that when the director of the FBI, the current director, Ray, went and saw it on Sunday before the president authorized its release, just yesterday, seems longer, doesn't it? Ray <laughs> <Yes>. went and <laughs> saw it in a secured facility at the House, and the next day fired the deputy attorney general, uh, I'm sorry, the deputy uh, director of the FBI, Mr. McCabe. And the biggest thing in these four pages, it reads just like, and then this happened, and then this happened. You don't have to have a Ph.D. in biology to read it. It's very straightforward, plain English, and it's available um, everywhere online. Just just Google Nunes memo, N-U-N-E-S, and, and up it will come. It's a, it's a quick read. But he got rid of McKay because of what he read there. So again, it can't be something that is a mortal threat to our men and women who are in surveillance and keep us safe, and at the same time be a nothing burger. Oh, and by the way, it got rid of the number two guy at the FBI. The biggest thing that they're complaining about now and that they're trying to refute, but they're lying, is that the sentence, I think it's on the third page, McCabe said in closed testimony last year before the House committee that without this manufactured, artificial, political opposition research, bogus you know, dossier, they could not have gotten the FISA warrant. It was an absolute predicate, a mandatory predicate, in order to be able to spy on the Trump administration, right. Or, right. or rather the Trump campaign, and then as the president-elect. And so uh, Devin Nunes, the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, is already moving to try to release that testimony where McCabe said under oath, no dossier, no FISA warrant. Now, it is true without the FISA warrant, you wouldn't have had the sequence of events, which I won't get into the detail or weeds now, but it's sort of like dominoes. There's a cascading effect. And without that FISA warrant being granted, you would not have had Bob Mueller as the special counsel. Um, but it's, it's, it's not an argument you need to have. It's not the claim that's being made for the memo. It's not why it was released. Nunes also has said he's halfway through a current investigation with its own memo forthcoming, presumably, looking at the State Department and what they did in relationship to the dossier and to the bogus materials that were used to defraud a court. The FISA warrant was renewed four times. And interestingly enough, the liberals will say, well, a judge renewed it four times. No, Four different right, judges right. renewed it separately each time. Were they judge shopping? It looks like that. But you don't need to um, overstate the case. It is bad enough within the four corners of the documents, as, as we would say in law, that any American should be appalled. And I know that if you have liberal listeners, they're not going to believe me, but we know it's true among our types, too. 
if this was Bush doing it to right. Obama, right. we would be at the barricade saying, this is not who we are. It is a banana republic. That is the threat to the rule of law and democracy. It's just that simple. Right. It is just that simple. And by the way, John, I have smart liberal listeners and they will actually listen and discuss and talk about things. So which is why I love them so much. Uh, I want to ask you, is this just the tip of the iceberg? But I want to take a phone call first. Uh, let's welcome Howard to the show. Hi, Howard. Did you have some thoughts? Yeah, I did. Actually, it was right on topic. So, you know, my big question is, you know, it really has to be kind of a knucklehead judge that they're putting this in front of. <laughs> it was kind of knowledge to everybody that the Democrats paid for, what, six months ago? And they, these judges don't do anything. They don't say anything. It really sounds like the whole operation of everything was just kind of a kind of a circus or a clown well, then, factory. Uh, you know what, Howard? You know what, what I'd be asking then? Then how come Congress went ahead and reauthorized all the FISA stuff without any warrants, what, without any reforms? What were who, they who thinking? Wants, who wants me to answer both of those questions? Okay, John, both Howard and I want you to answer both of those questions. All right. Correct. This is why I get the big bucks. Calling <laughs> me, exactly. Howard, you raise a good point, and I think the best information that we have here. It's something called fraud upon the court. Now, this is being put in play by by the Democrats, but they've got a fairly lengthy track record of of lying to serve political purposes. The FBI did not tell the judge this was opposition research. Hillary Clinton and the DNC paid something like $12 million. By the way, Michael Steele, who wrote that trash, he only got paid $160,000. But the law firm got the balance, and they wonder why people hate lawyers. I just can't figure it out. So I don't think we're quite there yet, Howard, in blaming the judges for being complicit. They have an affirmative obligation when they appear ex parte, and that's just a fancy uh, Latin word for meaning one side of the story. But when you're talking about surveillance, you can't give the game away and have the other side present. So the, the burden on the prosecution, on the FBI, on the government coming into these secret forums um, is is higher than it is in any other legal proceeding. That's how important it is. So they had an obligation. They affirmatively chose not to because the judge is going to say, wait, Hillary Clinton paid $12 million, and now you want to spy on the Trump campaign for this? But I can't I believe there is question. a judge worth his or her soul on the federal bench. We can get disappointed because we're human. But I, I, I won't impugn any of those judges just yet until there's more information. Okay, Howard has what, one, what, more, one more question yep, before yep. we let him go. Go ahead, Howard. Yeah, kind of a follow-up is, you know, we, you know, supposedly these are smart judges. I mean, if we need somebody to rubber stamp something, we can just go to the Department of Transportation. And have exactly. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like, well, it sounds you, like you, they you, really you touch on judges there to even hard. review the documents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, Howard. I, I, you, you touch on a, a larger concern of, of yours that I share. I was just trying to make sure that listeners know. Yeah, I, I understood that. I got you. Yeah, I got We do have a surveillance court, and I think for the last year that the data are available, the number of requests that were declined was 0.03%. So it's a rubber stamp. But here's what's interesting. We understand, we know that the FBI tried to get a surveillance warrant before October 21st, 2016, which is when they did get it. Their previous request was rejected. It was rejected, and the thinking there is it was so broad that a judge said, no, you just can't go willy-nilly, and they narrowed it very much. 
Thank so, you, Howard. Appreciate appreciate well, your you your comment. We're down to a minute here, John. So, so you're wrong. You're you're conflating, and it's easily done. Carter Page was surveilled pursuant to Title One. That said okay. to the court, he is an enemy spy, okay. and that gave the government the ability to spy on anyone he came in contact to. Title Seven is the seven hundred two, and those are limited. That's where the unmasked. Oh, very in. good. Thank and, and, you. And, and Trump has already said he fixed that. But so, Jason Lewis, I would have voted against it too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, by the way, is this the tip of the iceberg? Are we expecting lots more? I, I think it's um, just the tip of the iceberg. We've got uh, Chuck Grassley from Iowa, Iowa in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Apparently, he has a 90 plus memo that he wants to get declassified and released. You've got uh, Goodlatte in the House, who has another committee that is moving in a different direction on the same topic. And the Inspector General's report is forthcoming in the next four to six weeks. That's going to be the big one. I think that's going to be the biggest report, short of whenever Bob Mueller decides that, you know, there's no there there. I love winning, John Gilmore. I love winning. (laughs) Make America great again, Sue. Thank you so much. Really appreciate all your insight. And thank you for filling in at the end of the month. I'll see you at lunch this week. (laughs) Take care. Uh, Okay, everyone. We'll be back next Saturday. Thanks to John Gilmore. Stan, thanks to you. Super Bowl 52, Minneapolis. Make us proud. Hope it's a great game. What are you talking about today, Stan? Anything? Don't have time. Okay. Well, tune in for Stan's show. See you next week. Sue Jeffers, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com.